into other parts of the world in a way that you might not have been able to otherwise. And I love food because I feel like appreciating another culture's food is another way to see into another part of the world in a way that you might not have been able to otherwise. And to bring these two things together was really a rare treat. And I think especially because I think both of them have possible sort of universal applicability, but often viewed in very constricted ways. So you know, literature, depending on where you come from, can be seen in one very small, narrow window. And food, too, can be considered in one very small way. And I wanted to bring these two things together in sort of an exploded sense. Like, what are all the things about food that we don't discuss when we talk about food? You know, we've seen plenty of food writing about the most beautiful thing that you've eaten, or the most memorable thing you've ever eaten. But what about the most disgusting thing you've ever eaten? You know, because these memories can be just as powerful and they can teach you a lot about food. You may not want to eat them for dinner, but they actually tell you a lot about who you are, what a culture is, you know, what people do agree on, what they can't agree on. And I am so happy to have this wonderful group of writers here today to talk a little bit about that, because even though you have this supposed universal applicability of food, there's also a lot of ways in which both food and writing lag behind what their ideal manifestation can be. And one of those is a lack of diversity in writing and in food. And so, you know, the topic of this panel is a woman's place. And we want to talk about that in food, in writing, and in the ways in which those engender power. And so we have a really mixed group, and we have on my right, Mariana Enriquez, who is a writer based in Buenos Aires. She is the author of two novels, two short stories that I've chosen, um, a book of travel stories, um, a biography, and um, a novella. You probably read her work in, among other places, Granta, um, Sweeney's, The New Yorker. And if you haven't seen it already, I highly recommend you go out and pick up a new book, which is called Things We Lost in the Files, which is recently out from Hold Out Press. And it's really stunning. Um, we also have Alison Martin Powell, who is a translator from the Japanese, who I've had the luxury of working with on several occasions. And she is the translator of Hiromi Kawakami's The Briefcase, which was shortlisted for the Asian literary, uh, the Mandarin literary, sorry. Um, she's the translator of Osama Dazai, uh, Fuminori Nako, uh, Nakamura, uh, and Kanako Nishi, who is also in the world of um, she's an editor and a publishing consultant, and she's co-chair of the Pan America Translation Committee. And she also has a book out called Boy in the Earth, also by Fuminori Nakamura, which is actually called. Then we have Suzuka Banerjee, who is a wonderful writer about food and about life. Um, she has a variety of books about food and life in Bengal and in India. Among um, her titles are um, the Hour of the Goddess, Eating India, and um, Coffee Cobb, The Life of Food in Bengal, which I have as a gift. You can get all of her books online, um, and I highly recommend that you do. She is, I hope, uh, has also received awards from the Oxford Symposium on Food, and uh, she is working on a biography on the 13th century. Um, Hindu reformer Chaitanya. And then we have Sonia Karas, who works with the League of Kitchens as their program manager. And the League of Kitchens in Tasty Bandar is a wonderful organization based in New York. And what they do is they uh, have 
immigrant for speech classes in these intimate settings where they can tell people about their culture and about their food. I've actually been to two. They're delicious and a lot of fun and incredibly educational on top of that. And um, Sonia herself has worked in food banks, in pantries, and farmers markets across all five boroughs in the United States. And so I'm really excited to see you know, what we can sort of talk about and how these things come together um, and just, just gather the impressions of these wonderful writers and actors. Um, so I'm going to start with uh, Christopher Banerjee. And Christopher, I wanted to ask you, You know, um, so Life and Food in Bengal is a really wonderful book. It combines a lot of different ways of talking about food, um, which I think is something that Rishi tries to do, and I think it's something that would be great if a lot of writing did. And, you know, so you have, you know, sort of the educational elements where you're talking about specific dishes and telling people about things that they wouldn't know otherwise. But you also include a lot of narratives. You know, there are stories sort of intertwined in these, some of them lightly fictionalized, but they sort of pique interest, and they sort of evoke something beyond mere information. Is that something that you have always tried to do in your work? Um, yeah, I mean, that was my first book, and I spent a lot of time thinking how I wanted to be read if I just didn't want to write another cookbook. Um, and I felt that one of the best ways to learn about cooking, whether it is yours uh, or somebody else's, is Inseparability of culture and food. Yes. Because, um, you know, sort of in that vein, you don't shy away from describing things that maybe less than pleasant, like truths about food. That, like, you know, I really thought it was really 
very striking, the treatment of the question of how a lot of Bengali vegetarian cuisine yes. is created by women. Yes, in indeed. In the you know, Bengali vegetarian
documentary interest in the truth of how food is prepared, about how life is lived, I think comes through in Mariana's work really vividly. Um, and I, I won't talk about the book again because, you know, I'll find you all later and, you know, talk to you at length about it. But her story in the issue of Boys Without Borders, I'm wondering if you would talk a little bit about it because I think that there's a lot in that, that, you know, you use the asado, mm -hmm. this Argentine national pastime grilling, as a metaphor for so many other things, and you tease out all the sort of the sort of more sordid history of the use of the word, and you know one particularly vivid episode. So I'm wondering if you would talk a little bit about.
that uh, the first book that was considered literature is about the slaughterhouse, by the slaughterhouse where they kill the people that work there, they don't kill the Chilianos, but they kill a political opposer of the government. So everything is very entwined with this, you know, the power of the landowners, the cows as a symbolism of that, the asado with all these different meanings, the cooking it, the blood, and the political violence. So that was basically why I wanted to write the piece, because I could find something that in a way relates to my writing. My writing is basically horror married to political, the political and social issues. So I try and look for it in things, and I found it in food too. violent things has a very male history. But like, I think when you, when you, a lot of your characters are women, in fact, all the protagonists yeah. are women, but they're witnesses to these horrific acts of violence. Like, what was your thought in like juxtaposing these two things? Sometimes women who are out of their element, they're living in parts of the city where they didn't grow up, or they're suddenly on the outskirts of this violence themselves. Sometimes they're fully inside it. Like, what for you was the energy violence as it's presented to us in our society and um, especially by the media uh, it's very spectacular and in its detail it's completely uh, I don't feel anything and I don't know if with such a level of especially in Latin America the level of detail of explaining how the person was cut how well the head was and with women, especially in my country, Latina, uh, recently, like a very horrific, uh, let's say, wave of, of, of murders of women, femicides, and uh, the way the media describe again what's being done to these women, especially young girls, it's like killing them again, raping them again. It's very morbid and it's very there's some pressure in it. So. I wanted to to write about violence, but not not with this point of view that it's kind of pornographic in a way, but uh, to write about violence uh, with these women that are kind of uh, in a way forced to be uh, the witnesses of it all the time and uh, describing it in ways that are different, that are not the ways of real. Talk by the media, talk by, you know, in a way the male discourse is much more useful sometimes. I enjoy it more, I, I guess, this kind of use of violence and description of, of violence. So, but that was, that's literature, really. When you use a, a character that is a female, and it, for me it was very difficult to write female writers and uh, characters. Really, they were very close to me, they spoke like me, they made the same job. It was totally, it was totally Mariana, I, I didn't like them. So, um, 
in order to, to write a woman, I had to distance myself and kind of invent a character that was very different to me. And I'm, I'm terrified of violence. So uh, the way I approach it is very, I think, in a very tiptoeing way, because I'm terrified of it, but I have to talk about it, because it's very central to uh, something that I really care about is fear. And it's my fear. So I guess I just kind of answered the question obliquely, but that, that, that's it. No, I think it's very central. It also reminds me, I think, of, uh, I wanted to segue from that. It seems not like the segue, but I wanted to talk to Sonia. But only because I think it's really striking that the agents in all these books, the person, the narrator, who's witnessing the violence, through whom you understand it, is a woman. And like you said, you know, we've seen accounts of what violence against women looks like from the perspective of like a man, of like through media. And I thought it was really striking that you had these women recounting the violence that occurs to them or that are, happens around them. And you know, sort of tangentially related to that, about women being agents of their own stories and their narratives, but League of Kitchens does a lot of fantastic work in organizing these workshops. But you know, one of the underlying benefits of it, in my perspective, um, and you know, you'll have to tell me what you think, is the way that this work valorizes the work of women. Like women have been involved with food and cooking, as you know, all of you know, you know, forever. But the public role that they're allowed to take, the media roles that they're allowed to take, are often less available than they are to men. And so League of Kitchens does a really fantastic job of documenting, you know, the work that these women do. It, you know, collates their recipes. Um, you know, they all are. You, you should really check them out. They're all sort of, sort of social media stars. It's really fantastic. So, you know, would you talk a little bit about that aspect of your work? Or? Yeah, sure. Um, so, as Rohan mentioned, all of our instructors are women. Um, all but one learn to cook at a very young age. They can talk about being in the kitchen, being six, being seven, watching their moms, watching their grandmothers. Um, for many of them, once they got married,
and we fought for the dance where we did anything we did tonight at Restaurant. And the fact that it's so difficult to join these two realizations, I think is a testament to how powerful we feel, <laughs> you know, sort of professional recognition of it. And I love that you guys, you know, say, you know, what you do and the way you do it is valid and, you know, has great value.
stop drinking hot sockets, but it makes cold beer, and it's just, and it, it just like you say, it's sort of, um, it's an easy way to signify um, the passage of time, or uh, to point back to a memory, or or melancholy, or emotion. So yeah. Well, and if anyone could give the Japanese around for that obsession with food, I think it's always either Bengali. <laughs> <And> <laughs>
I'm sorry that this space in which you were saying we've lost something, but you know, if you can create a space in which yeah. the memory of that is real again, yeah. it reminds me of, I took a class with one of the instructors, actually the Nepali instructor, so you know, um, at the beginning of the class he talks about her experience of coming to this country and what these classes do for her, and she's talking about her early days in New York, and she was, um, I think she was like a babysitter, and she talked about being on this bus and just feeling, you know, just utterly, like she didn't have a place here. And then she's like, where am I in between everything? I'm in this bus and there's strangers out. And the woman ended up being, becoming a legend then. Um, but, you know, she said, you know, now I, I do this, and it's like made a new space for her, but she can tell these stories and sort of recreate them for herself and for other people. So, I mean, is that, like, it seems like there might be a lot of that. Observe 
done half of my imagination comes from literature and I didn't read anything from people who were in her work. And um, so it's not it's not complex But it's a complex society in that way. In a society that when you see it, it looks very diverse and open. And once you've been there all your life, you can see that that's Fasada is uh, very clear in the last few years uh, with, the, with the new immigrants, let's say, and it's remarkable what happens with food. Like for example, I wrote in the piece of World Without Borders, uh, one of the most fantastic cuisines uh, of uh, Latin America is the Peruvian cuisine. And uh, many middle class Argentinian people don't like it. Don't like it because it's spicy, but don't like it because it's Peruvian, which means it's not as white as we are, because we're the white people from the And uh, so this, um, you know, this uh, happy uh, thing about food uh, coming, for example, like uh, I mentioned in this in, uh, in the complexity of how society can work. Uh, that you would expect that, and it happens in many other places, that when immigrants come, they offer you food and, well, no. Well, it doesn't work like that at all. <laughs> and, uh, for us, it doesn't work like that. And, um, and it's very, for me, like I can see many of my friends that are all the time complaining about, you know, fusion restaurants and how it's very snob and very elitist and blah, blah. And it's true, and it's especially true in a country that can feed their own people 50 times each year, and many other countries, if they want, and we have outrageous inflation and people that are hungry, so this is completely obscene to have like a, you know, UK restaurant, this is like, but in a way, it's not only their, you know, progressive thinking I'm talking about. It's also the xenophobic thinking. It's also the, let's go to a beef and salad. What's wrong with that? We are Argentinos. We like football. We are from the South. This is, this is Andes people. This is not our people. And, um, and this has been very, 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 very strong in the last few years. Like, where I came from La Paz, basically, from, the, from Bolivia. I almost died because it's very high. <laughs> but uh, I'm okay. <laughs> but I won't do it again. I love the country, but it's very hard. And there's a Danish guy there that is trying to, you know, bring Bolivian food, uh, to give it a new flavor. Bolivia is in a very good moment. It's very empowered in their culture and everything. And uh, when I came back, many of my friends said, oh, Another, you know, blonde gringo exploiting the, you know, the indigenous people. That was one thing, and I believe that they believed that. But also, they were like, "Why would someone care about food from Bolivia?" <laughs> Because, you know, and there's no Bolivian restaurants. There's many Bolivian immigrants, many, 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 many. And the the thing they deal with is food because. Uh, the majority of them have uh, grocery, vegetable 
or grocery. And um, but there's no restaurants. They cook at home. Because nobody would go to a restaurant because they won't trust them. Because they don't trust the immigrants because they are not us. And uh, so this is a society that has, I don't know, same-sex marriage for 15 years now, for example. But uh, you won't see a white middle-class Argentino having uh, a friend from Bolivia for dinner and asking them to cook food. It's extremely rare. So, so yes, I, I, I know them. Yeah, 
she's the daughter of uh, another very, very famous and very good boy. It's called Paco Dondo. He's, he's been killed by the dictatorship. And she was one of the children that were taken, and she got her identity back. She was uh, given to other parents when their parents were killed and raised in another family to not know her real identity. And now she is back with her family. She did a process that is totally weird. It's called disadoption. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exist, basically. But she won it in court. And her brother has a restaurant. It's called Udondo. And it's very nice. And it's near my house. But if you go uh, Angela Udondo at Powell, Poema, it's the same with the name. And uh, you will find it very, very nice.
So I have a Japanese friend that uh, went to Japan and uh, didn't do anything, had to come back to But no, sensuality, uh, unfortunately, no. <laughs> I think uh, the totally opposite. I, I think everybody wants to be skinny and try not to eat, basically. And uh, there's kind of a lack of pleasure in, in food, uh, especially for the women. Like the men are allowed to have their, you know, belly thing that they can be sexual. But <laughs> But the women, the women want, want really, really to be skinny and kind of a restriction on food that some deny that they say no, it's somehow awful. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, I have noticed, you know, the sensuous pleasure in food is very strong in Indian culture, you know, in all the different regions. But I'm not sure that I.
teachers take each other's classes, take their events together, and I think that there is a, a relational piece to just our jobs now that, I don't know if I meant to do it again, I don't know if we <laughs> could bring in just one, it might just like ruin the dynamic, but I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Talk to the panelists, talk to me. Um, Woods of Orders is there too. And again, thank you so much.